And we give all glory and honor to him because of his incredible love, kindness, mercy, and grace. Greetings to you, Forrest family. Welcome to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Kind Father, we know the only reason we're able to stand before you and worship is because of the sweet, sweet, sweet blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, on today, we just thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you that you saw fit to send us your best in your only begotten Son, that he would live this, this life sinlessly, blamelessly, faultlessly, and that he would be the propitiation for our sin. Father, we thank you for the extraordinary privilege to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to lift up holy hands and to bless your name. Father, we bless you because you're good. We bless you because you're faithful. We bless you because you are marvelous. We bless you because you are, you are near to us. We bless you. You are majestic and mighty. We bless you, O oh God, for allowing us to enter into your house of worship one more time. We bless you, O oh God, because you have been extraordinarily faithful to us, the very ones who are faithless. Father, I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in such a way that you would cut through our mess, cut through our issues, cut through our drama, cut through our minds. Father, you deserve an excellent worship today. Father, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would just tear down any type of praise that is just mediocre. You deserve excellent praise because you are an excellent God. You deserve our full attention and our full affection because you've given us your very best. Father, you're worthy to be worshipped this day. Father, please have mercy upon us that we would see Christ Jesus today. Father, you, you are our peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, I ask that you would bestow your peace upon us even now as we dig into your word. Glorify yourself. Take my weak and foolish words. Exalt them for your glory and name's sake. Father, I just pause to pray for the one right now who is struggling in search of peace, and they have not found any peace. For the one that's suffering difficulty in their body, bereavement over this, these holidays, the one who is destitute and in despair, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would minister to them right now as only you can. Father, you know. You know exactly what they need because you are the I am God. So, Father, I ask that you would meet us where we are, but take us where we need to be. That we would indeed give you all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. And all of God's people say it together. Amen. 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 Indeed, as we embark upon this holiday season, I just want to start off by giving us two warnings. Two cautions, and I pray that these are words of wisdom. The first caution I just want to give you today is don't overspend this year, all right? Create a budget and be disciplined because those bills got to be paid in January, all right? Be mindful, though you may want your children to have the best and your family friends to have the best, it is not those gifts that's going to make the difference. You be the gift. 
You be the one that they can look to for wisdom. You be the one that they can look to for support, for encouragement. You be the gift. Display to, uh, upon them just who Jesus Christ is, the greatest gift. And with that said, that first warning, don't overspend. But the second warning is don't forget about the gift you've already been invited to receive in Christ Jesus. You've already been invited to receive this gift. Celebrating Advent, it, it reminds us of Jesus' coming to Bethlehem that, that first Christmas. God's gift of salvation to the world born in a manger. And we look back on that first Advent of Jesus to help us remember what really matters. Salvation has come. So on last week, we celebrated by remembering the gift of hope that Jesus brings. But this week, we want to continue our Advent celebration by remembering the gift of peace that Jesus alone brings. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians, the second chapter. For our time this morning, uh, we're just going to explore one scripture, but we're going to read verses 11 through 22 to give us a context. This morning, we're looking at Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 11 through 22, and if you are able, uh, please stand with me in honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning with the 11th verse, and we'll go down to 22. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ this morning. The word of God says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The subject of our text this morning is simply Jesus is the gift of peace. Jesus is the gift of peace. You know, back in Michigan, we would have the opportunity to participate in the annual, annual Memorial Day Parade. And uh, every year, we, as a church, we look forward to this. We would be able to have the church band in the parade. We would get members to, to walk along the parade route. We would pass out candy. Uh, we would uh, be certain to pass out tracks. And if anyone was able to, we would be able to stop and pray with the people as we went about. Uh, but every year we would have, to have a new T-shirt. That was like one of the highlights. If, if you marched in the parade, you got a T-shirt. So you couldn't just get a T-shirt on Sunday, but if you was part of the parade, you would get a T-shirt. And we, had, it, we, we, we did it so many years, I had so many T-shirts. But one T-shirt that, that I liked the best was this one. It says right on the front for everyone to see, it says, no Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. And in those, those, those few words, what we were trying to, to sum up is the fact that 
Life without Jesus is really no life at all. You cannot have life, eternal life, the fullness of life, the abundant life that Jesus has promised if you don't have Jesus in your life. No Jesus, no life. But then on the other hand, if you know Jesus intimately, if he is your Lord and Savior, if, if you have called upon him to save you if, you, if you have cried out to him and you have a personal relationship with Jesus through repentance and faith, we, uh, the, the t-shirt just simply says, if you know Jesus, then you actually know life. Because when you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, everything changes, beloved. Not only your outlook on life, not only the blessings in life, but the certainty that Jesus knows your name. And Jesus already declared that all whom the Father has given to him, he would not lose one. To know for sure that your life would not be wasted. That your labor is not in vain. That he got you no matter what the situation or circumstance is. When you know Jesus, you really know life. And beloved, the same thing can be said about peace. Know Jesus no peace. But when you know Jesus, you actually know peace. Without Jesus in your life, no matter what you're looking for, forward to, or aspiring towards, without Jesus, you will never receive the peace that you're so urgently searching for. No Jesus, no peace. But on the flip side of that, when you know Jesus, how, how we say, for real, for real. When you know Jesus, you know the peace that surpasses all understanding. When you know Jesus, beloved, you get the peace that just don't make no sense from those looking on the outside. No Jesus, no peace. Beloved, when you think about peace, however, what do you think about? For many of us, when we think about peace, we think about that, that holiday vacation in Honolulu on the beach. The waves just crashing up against the sand, and you laying down sunning. Many times when we think about peace, we, we think about peace and quiet. If y'all could just be quiet for a minute, I just need some peace and quiet. When we, when we think about peace, a lot of times... We think about it in the sense that it, there, there's this absence of something that we just don't like. In order to receive peace, we think that, that, that we have to get to a certain situation, a certain uh, uh, economic income, a certain job, a certain possession. And, and once we get that, then we'll have peace. When we think about peace, it's usually in terms of the absence of conflict. But, beloved, peace isn't just the absence of hostilities. Peace is the complete and utter wholeness that Jesus Christ alone brings. Peace is not a perspective. Peace is found in the person and work in Jesus Christ. Think about your life. You've been searching for peace all your life. You said, if I get an education, then I'll have some peace. If I get that new job, then I'll have some peace. If, I, if I'm able to, to get married or I, I have that spouse, then I have some peace. And we are looking for peace all around because we live in a place without peace. But, beloved, peace is a person. And his name is Jesus. As, as I was reflecting upon this text, I, I, I came to a point where I recognize I took Jesus and his peace for granted. And I paused to take some time to really think about where would my life be without Jesus? You could use him synonymously with peace. Where would my life be without peace? It came to my mind. Without peace, there is the inability 
for you to make divine decisions. I didn't say wise decisions. I said divine decisions. Decisions that go above and beyond what this world has to offer. You can make some smart decisions. You can pick a smart stock or pick a smart job, but that still isn't divine wisdom from, from God. Without peace, there is the surrender to that constant pull of the world upon your affections. Without the peace that comes from God, I'm always drawn to what this world has to offer. I just need the new thing. I'm never satisfied. I always want more, even though Jesus is my peace. Without peace, there is the continual existence of chaos and confusion brought upon yourself by your bad decisions and worldly affections. Because you don't have peace, you keep making bad decisions, and you keep following your own desires, and you keep falling into chaos and confusion because you have no peace. Look upon my life without peace. There's this uncertainty of your life's purpose. Without peace, you don't even know why you're here. And you're trying to have peace by your title or your role and what you so choose. Without peace, there is the fatigue because of your continual search for acceptance and affirmation. If you don't got peace, you're always looking for someone else to affirm you and accept you because you don't have peace. Without peace, there's the weight and burden of guilt because you caught up in all those bad decisions. See, without peace, you find yourself in brokenness, and then you don't have any peace because you're in the midst of brokenness. Without peace, there's the fear of humiliation from your inability to perform. Without peace, you have performance anxiety. And you're always asking yourself, I wonder what they think. I could go on and on to describe what a life without Jesus, a life without peace is, is really like, but I don't have to describe it to you because you know it for yourself. At certain points in all of our lives, we have been looking for peace. But, beloved, praise God that true peace is found in the Prince of Peace. This world needs Jesus. We need Jesus in order to experience true divine peace. Beloved, I just make the statement, there is no peace in this life without Jesus. Everything else is just a distraction. What do you mean, Pastor? You think you got peace because you got a brand new car for Christmas. Beloved, that car is going to get old. The tire is going to get flat. You're going to need to get an oil change at some point. That car is not going to be a source of peace. It's going to be a source of headache. You're going to need to put new brakes on it. You're going to get new calipers, new rotors. At some point, that which you thought would bring peace will bring nothing but a headache. But for the moment, you got peace because you got a new car. What I'm trying to say, if you really think you got peace and his name is not Jesus Christ, then your peace is temporary and will always fade away. Peace can only come through Jesus Christ. Everything else is just a distraction from the peace you ain't got. That's why we smoke so much weed. We want some temporary peace. That's why we drink so much. We just want some temporary peace. That's why we party so hard. I'm having a hard week this week. I just need to go to the club and just just have some fun for a minute. You go, you have all your fun. But you got to come back home to to the same situation you ain't have peace in in the first place. Jesus Christ alone brings peace. Everything else is just a distraction.
Ephesians 2 and 14 makes this abundantly clear that Jesus is the source and substance of all our peace. Our thesis for this morning, because Jesus is the source and substance of all peace, you must know Jesus to know peace at all. Because Jesus is the source and substance of all peace, you must know Jesus to know peace at all. Let's walk through this together. The first half of, of verse 14, I'm just going to unpack this one verse. The first half of this verse, he says, for, for he himself is our peace. I've just been walking around all week just quoting that. For he himself is our peace. See, the, the, the scriptures reveal that peace is not found, again, in a circumstance or situation. Real peace is not the absence of anything but the presence of Jesus Christ. We hear this in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, in the 33rd verse. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If your life is filled with chaos and drama because of your decisions, that is a place where Jesus is not residing. Our greatest need is not money. Our greatest need is not world peace. Our greatest need is not self-esteem. Your greatest need and my greatest need is to be reconciled to God before it is eternally too late. We see this problem here in verses 11 through 12. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a peaceless situation. The scriptures lay out right here what, what Paul is, is talking about. He, he has just went through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And he's saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and once you was walk, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and, and the sons of disobedience. And, and, and he's going through it. And he's laying out that this argument, this case, that you, you were dead to your sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, even when you were dead in your trespasses of sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he walks through this argument and says, it is because of God's grace that you have been saved. And not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. For Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and he, he's laying out this argument that salvation has come by grace alone through faith alone. Faith alone. And then he, he's talking about everybody. Then in verse 11, he narrows that down and he, and he begins to say, you Gentiles. Guess what, y'all? We all Gentiles. He said, he said, listen, remember that at one time... You, you, you were separated from this salvation, this great salvation. Remember that, 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 that you, you cannot come near to Jesus Christ. You were separated from Christ. You had no promise of the Messiah. All throughout Old Testament Scripture, there was no promise uh, that specifically that, that the Messiah will only come to Gentiles. He said that he would come to the Gentiles to the Jews, and through them all the nations would be blessed, but there's no specific promise. You're without Christ. You're, you don't have the promise of the Messiah. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You're, you, you are a wayless people. You don't have a nation. You don't have a theocracy where, where God is the supreme ruler. You're, you, you're not a people who have been chosen out for God. You haven't been set apart. You're not that special. The Gentiles, they, they didn't know the, know the Messiah. They didn't have a nation that God loved. Thirdly, he says, you're strangers of the covenants of promise. What is he talking about? He's talking about those promises that God made to his people way back when. See, understand this. The Jews didn't become a Jews. The Jews didn't become Jews until God called them out and separated them. 
And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a people. This wasn't a people before. He said, I'm going to make you a people. And he makes the Abrahamic covenant in order I will, I will bless you, I will prosper you, I will give you new land. He, he's made that promise. And then you go to, to Moses and he talks about the, the promises of the law. And if you obey, there will be blessings. But if you disobey, there will be curses. But then he goes further to, to remind the people that on my throne, I will always have a king and he will always represent my people in a Davidic covenant. He's talking about those promises, but not only those promises. He goes to Ezekiel 36 and he reminds them of the, co- the, the promise of the new covenant. And there would be a time when one will come and he will set everything straight. So he's saying, Gentiles, y'all didn't have Christ. Y'all weren't the people. Yeah, yeah, y'all wasn't even coming close to, to knowing who I am. You were strangers to these covenant promises. And then if you don't know Christ, if you're not a people, and you have the, no covenants, what does he say? Uh, you are without hope, having no hope, without God in this world. Beloved, if you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. And he's, he's talking about how bad they actually have it because they are not close to God. They don't know God. The Gentiles are lost in their sin. It's like if I told you I had a million dollars waiting for you in Modesto, California. But you can't use anything to help get you there. You can't use your GPS You can't use uh, your phone. You can't say, uh, okay, Google. You can't say Siri. You can't even go to AAA and get one of them apps. Some of y'all still use AAA. I know y'all do. But you have to completely figure it out on your own. How would you even get there? You will have no clue. This is a situation for all Gentiles. How would they even know? how to come to God. They, they, don't, they don't know nothing about the Messiah, nothing about the people of God, nothing about the covenants of promise. They are completely and utterly without hope. Beloved, because of our sin, we are born in this world without hope. Your sin has separated you from God. We are all guilty of cosmic treason. Yet, yet, in a demonstration of amazing grace, God gives us what we needed instead of what we deserve. How do I know? Because verse 13 says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Yahoo is way over there. Because of the blood of Jesus, he's, he's brought you near. God's not going to treat you like that friend of yours who, they're your friend at work, they're your friend at church, but you see them in public, they act like they don't know you. You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus is our peace, and here we're directed to that substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is what brings us near to God. You were separated. You were alienated. You were strangers, but God, but now Jesus steps in, and he is our peace. And Micah The fifth chapter, the fourth verse, he says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He's talking about Jesus here. In Philippians, the The fourth chapter, verses 6 and 7, we quote it all the time around here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what does he go on from there? And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter and the 23rd verse says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus, your whole being is covered in peace. Ah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is our peace. He is the source of the very thing that we need and cry for every morning. We get out the bed cry, oh, Lord, help me. I'm getting ready to go to work today. You know they get on my nerves. I'm tired. I just can't do it today. I need, I, I need help. We're crying for the very peace that we've already received. He himself is our peace. He's the source of our peace. That, that The blood of Christ has been shed that you can have some peace. We need Jesus not only because he's the source of all peace, but we need Jesus because he's the substance of all peace. Look here in the second half of this verse. Jesus is the substance of all peace. For he himself is our peace that, that what? who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, he, he begins to talk about in his flesh. If we go on, we see, by abolishing the law of commands expressed in the ordinances that he may, might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. In his flesh, in his body, peace not only comes from Jesus, but there's something about the chemical makeup of who Jesus is that brings us all peace. Understand the context. Paul is talking about the division between Jew and Gentile. These are two ethnic groups that are diametrically opposed to one another. They don't want to have anything to do with one another. But what Jesus does in his flesh, he doesn't just say, come, y'all should get along. Y'all need to be nice to one another. He says, no, I'm going to take all of your identity, who you think you are, and I'm going I'm I'm to strip that to the side and remind you that I'm creating one new man in place of the two. And because I'm creating this one new man, you don't get to claim your superiority because of your ethnicity or your lowliness because of your ethnicity, but you have something completely brand new because of who I am. So Jesus, in his flesh, he brings about this horizontal peace in his flesh. But then not only does he bring horizontal peace, Jesus brings vertical peace. Because he says, after I make you one new man, then I'm going to destroy the hostility. I'm going to remove the beef that God got with you. See, you really ain't got a beef with God. God got a beef with you because of your sin. But I'm going to destroy that beef. I'm going to get rid of the hostility in my flesh. Jesus creates this horizontal peace and this vertical peace in his flesh, in him. Pastor Tony Evans, he gave an incredible illustration that presses this point. And he said that we, we need to learn a, a lesson when it comes about who we are now and what has taken place. And we, we learn this lesson from a jar of mayonnaise. See, in, in mayonnaise, there is made from two substances that don't normally blend. Oil and water. Oil and water don't go together, does it? You talk about two people, like some of you, you and your, your cousins and them, y'all like oil and water. Y'all just can't get along. 
They're two substances that, that are opposite ends of the spectrum. You try to put them together, but they won't blend. He says that in order for those two substances to, to, to be united, you need an emulsifier. An emulsifier is a, is a substance that can make a chemical uh, change and take place in oil and water. To, to, it changes them in a way that it will put them together and keep them together. And when it comes to mayonnaise, uh, the emulsifier within mayonnaise is what? The eggs. You, you take the oil and you take the water, two substances that previously would not go together, blend or unite, and then you add the egg to it. And the egg makes some type of chemical reaction that all the substances that they, they once were uh, apart from one another, now they are bound to one another. And what, and what the illustration is saying is that in his flesh, Jesus has made a chemical reaction change that takes two people who were at odds at one another and makes them one in the incarnation, because that's what he's talking about in his flesh, in the incarnation. When Jesus came down 42 and some generations and clothed himself with humanity, he, 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 he came God himself. And in the incarnation, Jesus is the mediatory emulsifier who was able to bring together two opposing parties. Jew and Gentile, Jesus can bring them together. That's peace. But not only Jew and Gentile, God and man, Jesus can bring them together and give them peace. Beloved, that's why we have scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Now, for those in Christ, you are a new creature. The old things have passed away. Beloved, behold, all things have become new. Beloved, when it comes to our righteousness and God, we are like oil and water. We cannot come near God. But when Jesus lays down his life, when he got up upon Calvary's cross and he stretched his hands wide, and after they raised them high in his flesh, he brought us together. He himself is our peace who have made us both one in his flesh. Understand, beloved, this is what we have to get. Those in Christ have peace because they have been given a new eschatological ethnicity and it's called the church. You come to Christ and you still trying to do you? Now understand, there's distinctions. There, there will always be distinctions. In Revelation 7, we see distinctions. But what, and, and, and he says, and I looked out and around the throne, I saw a people from every language, nation, and tongue. And reconciling this text with that text, what, what I believe it's really taking place. It goes deeper than the fact that a bunch of people from a bunch of different races are going to be worshiping together. I believe that is a witness to the new identity, the new ethnicity, the church coming together and worship. So, beloved, before you anything else, you are saved by grace. You are part of the body of Christ. That's your primary ethnicity. And because that's primary, everything else that separates us can be laid away. We don't have to be caught up on everything else. Are we the body of Christ or what? I may not have grown up where you grew up. I may not look like you. I may not talk like you. But understand the power of the gospel to take folks who don't look alike, can't get along, and make them what? That's peace. All those things that have us diametrically opposed to one another is crushed by this title, this new ethnicity called the church. So this is a tangent, but what that means, beloved, we got to stop treating one another like we just friends. We need to start treating one another like y'all my people. 
That means we have to care for one another like we the same people. We got to call one another like we the beloved. If you don't talk to anybody from church all week, you got a problem. You missing out on the blessing of what it means to be the people of God. If you don't talk to it, if you don't hang with no, if you don't even like church people, you just go to Forest Baptist Church. Something's wrong with you because Jesus in his blood, by his flesh and the cross of Christ, he died to make something new. And you don't want to take that newness? Then, beloved, you must not be that new creature, that new creature creation in Christ Jesus. Stop acting like y'all don't like one another. Who you discipling in this church? In, no, in this church. Don't tell, me, don't tell me who you discipling on your job. Do they go to this church? Don't talk about how you disciple a, a classmate at your school. Do they go to this church? Then you ain't doing what you're supposed to do. If we're the body... If we're this new people who are, are supposed to be brought together because of peace, if, if we're not discipling one another, if you are not giving yourself to the body, you got this thing wrong. And it's time for us to have greater expectations of one another. This eschatological hope is what brings us peace. Because no matter what, because of Christ Jesus, you get me. You should be able to understand me. You should be able to rejoice when I with me, or you, you can weep with me. Because we understand one another because of the blood of Jesus. How do we specifically apply this? Jesus is the source and substance of all peace, but you must know him. We heard it earlier, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, may peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You see that? It's a distinction. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, so how do I apply this peace to my life? The first thing, we, we need a peace-filled pursuit of Jesus. We got to pursue Christ. What does it mean to pursue Christ? Well, namely, you need to know God's word. If, if the word became flesh, but you don't know your word, how can you say that you know Jesus? Know your word. Know, know what Jesus is calling us to. Know the promises that he has already made for us that you can hold on to. Know your word, but, but believe God's word. It's one thing for me to read it. It's one thing for me to put it inside of me and hold on to it. To actually believe that I can trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not to all my own understanding. In all my ways, acknowledge him and know that he will direct my path. It's just one thing to, to, to know of Scripture. It's a, it's, it's a different thing to believe the Scripture. We, in order to, to have a peace-filled pursuit of Jesus, you've got to know God's Word. You need to believe God's Word. But then thirdly, you just need to obey God's Word. Because you know God's Word, because you believe God's Word, it leads to some type of action. You obey God's Word. The first thing, so, so how do we live this out, this peace-filled pursuit of Jesus? But then secondly, we apply this to our life by becoming instruments of peace within this world. Because of the peace that we have received from Jesus Christ, we ought to return and reciprocate that peace upon the world in, in whom we live. So what does that mean? That means if Jesus gave you peace, don't you give out hell. If Jesus gave you peace, stop cussing out, folks. 
If Jesus gave you peace, stop gossiping about folks. If Jesus gave you peace, stop having an attitude with folks. If Jesus gave you peace, why don't you give some peace? If Jesus gave you, see, uh, the Christian should be like a fire retardant, not a fire accelerator. Let, let, let me explain the difference. A fire retardant actually comes into a, a, a bad situation and gets rid of the fire. It snuffs out the fire. But if you are an accelerant, that's like when you're trying to, you're, you're frying on the stove and you get that, get that, 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 that grease fire. You don't just pour water on it because it's going to make it bigger. Don't be like that grease fire, Christian. When you come into a situation, you don't make it better. You make it worse. Ah, uh, did you hear what they said about you? When I was in class and I'm not, give peace. If Jesus has given us peace, be the instruments filled with peace. What is our hope? This is our hope. When, when people ask me how, how I'm doing, most often I, I just reply by saying, I'm doing well. I'm well. And I say that for, for a reason. I can say I'm well because I know that Jesus got my soul. So it doesn't matter on my current situation. Because some days I'm going to feel good. Some days I'm going to feel bad. Some days I'm going to be on the top of the mountain. Some days I'm going to be in the valley below. But one thing I know, that if Jesus has my soul, it is well. And I'm reminded of this song that just simply goes, when peace, like a river, attendeth, my way when when sorrows like sea billows roll uh, whatever my lot that that means whatever comes my way thou has taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul see but that's just verse one the second verse though satan should buffet though trials should come Bless this, bless assurance, control. What he's saying is, though Satan is throwing daggers at you and darts at you and making things so hard, he said, you just remember what the scriptures say. And he says that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. He know you need help. He know you need him. And has shed his own blood for my soul. Verse 3. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He's talking about all of your sin. Not just part of your sin, all your sin, all your mess, all your dirt. He says, is, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And Lord, and Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. With my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Well, because Jesus is my peace. No matter the situation nor the circumstance come hell or high water I don't know about you but because Jesus is the captain of my soul it is well it is well it is well
Because Jesus is our peace. It can be well with your soul. Are you living without peace today? See, the gospel is the emulsifier of peace. Taking broke people deep in their sin and reconciling them with a holy and righteous God. The gospel says, no matter where you came from, I can still save. No matter what you've been through, I can still save. No matter what you think about yourself, I can still say that the gospel is our source of peace because it reminds us that Jesus died for me. He didn't wait for me to get it right, but he went to Calvary's cross for me anyway. Jesus is the complete human that we were made to be but have failed to be. But when Jesus is your peace, it will always, always be well with your soul. Father God, Father God, Thank you for being our peace. Thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for the blood of Christ Jesus. Thank you that your body was broken for us. Thank you for being our peace. And Father, I ask that you would bestow peace on one today. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will draw one to you. That they will repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Father, I ask that you would be their peace. And for the saint who have, has not been faithful. Lord, give them that peace of knowing that if they would confess their sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. But Father, we ask that you would prouch a peace that surpasses all understanding upon us right now, that you will have your way. In the precious and holy and matchless mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen.